And so he went to a payphone. How many of y'all remember payphones? Thank goodness I'm not the only one. He went to a payphone and he put in a coin and he dialed this number and the phone rang and rang and rang. Finally, a sleepy voice answered on the other side and Bill said, hey, um, can I speak to Jonesy? And the annoyed man said, there ain't nobody here named Jonesy and he hung up the phone. Bill said, that is a man who's irritated. And then about an hour later, Bill said, now I want to show you a man who's angry. And so he went to the same phone, he dialed the same number, and he let it ring and ring and ring. And eventually, that same sleepy voice picked up the phone and answered. And Bill said, hey, can I speak to Jonesy? Sleepy voice said loudly, there ain't nobody named Jonesy here. And he slammed down the receiver. Well, about an hour later at 3 a.m., Bill said, now I'm going to show you an example of rage. And he went to that phone, and he dialed that same number, and he let it ring and ring and ring. And that sleepy man answered the voice, and Bill said, hey, this is Jonesy. Have I had any calls tonight? <laughs> Don't do that. Somebody's liable to reach through the phone line and choke you, Amen. Don't do that. But everybody has got their boiling points. Amen? Everybody has their boiling points when anger can boil over into rage. Today, we're going to see that Jesus got angry. And we're going to find out why. Go with me to John chapter 2 and let's read about it. In verse 13... John writes, now the Passover of the Jews was at hand and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. And he found in the temple, what happened in the temple? What people do in the temple? They worship God. He found in the temple those who sold oxen and sheep and doves and the money changers doing business. And when he had made a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen, he poured out the changers' money. He overturned the tables. And he said to those who sold doves, These things take away. Do not make my father's house a house of merchandise. And then his disciples remembered that it was written, Zeal for your house has eaten me up. And so the Jews answered and said to him, What sign do you show to us since you do these things? And Jesus answered and said to them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I'll raise it up. Then the Jews said, If it has taken 46 years to build this temple, how are you going to raise it up in three days? But Jesus was speaking of the temple of his body. Therefore, when he had risen from the dead, the disciples remembered that he had said this, and he, they believed in the scripture and the word which Jesus said. Now, when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover, during the feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he did. But Jesus did not commit himself to them because he knew all men and had no need that anyone should testify of man because he knew what was in a man. Friends, this passage shows us that yes, Jesus is the gentle, innocent Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, but he is also the majestic, 
passionate lion of Judah who judges the life and deeds of every human being on this planet. If you understand that, friend, then you will understand the importance of keeping the temple of the Holy Spirit free from the corruption that we find in the world. But where is the temple today? Where is the temple today? The Word of God asks this question. Do you not know that you, that you are the temple of God and the Spirit of God dwells in you? The Word goes on to say, if anyone defiles the temple of God, God will destroy him, for the temple of God is holy, which temple you are. Today we're going to look at three facts regarding how God feels about his temple. First and foremost, God adores his temple. In verse 13, Jesus has gone up to Jerusalem to observe the Passover feast. And there in the temple where people are supposed to be worshiping, people are selling ox and sheep and doves. They're exchanging money. They're doing business. And he makes a whip of cords. He drives them all out of the worship place of God. And he pours out the changers' money. And he overturns the tables And he says to those who sold the doves, take these things away. Take them away from here. Do not make my father's house a house of merchandise. You see, friend, Passover was created to honor, to worship God, to praise God, to adore Almighty God for all the ways that he had preserved and protected the nation of Israel for centuries and centuries. And when Jesus got there to the celebration, he did not like what he saw. He didn't like what he found. Why? Because he knew that the temple was supposed to be a place of God's presence. This is supposed to be where God is. Yet it didn't seem like anybody acted if God was even around. I mean, Passover was the first time of the year where believers could actually participate in worship. They actually got to give an offering to the Lord. They actually would have an animal sacrifice to to offer themselves forgiveness of sin. These were good things. These were things they did in obedience to the Lord. These were things they did as an act of worship to the Lord. There were things that they showed that they adored God. But something else crept into the temple. Greed. Greed also crept into the temple. The temple that was supposed to be the place of God's presence had become a place of profit. See, offerings had to be in the temple money. Foreign money was not acceptable in the temple. And so what did temple officials do? Well, they would just set up a booth. It would kind of be like a, one of these title loan places or one of these uh, check-in-the-cash type places that we see all over the place now. And what they would do is if you didn't have the right kind of currency, then you could go to one of those places and you could probably be assured they would take advantage of you and they would charge you extraordinary exchange rates so that you could get temple money in exchange for your foreign money. Now, furthermore... 
they, when you brought a sacrifice to the Lord, an animal a, a, without blemish, without defect, you were supposed to bring that. But people knew. People knew that likely their animal wasn't going to be clean enough. They knew that their animal wasn't going to be without blemish. They knew that their animal wasn't going to be without defect. It wouldn't be approved for sacrifice. So the ones that judged the worthiness of the animal were kind of in cahoots with the ones that was exchanging the money. And everybody was making, um, making money, making a profit off of these people that came to worship God. So for their so-called convenience, uh, these temple officials, um, what do they do? They would bring proper animals. They would bring animals without defect in so that people could buy the animals and have a clean animal for sacrifice. And for 30 years, Jesus had been to the temple. And for 30 years, he watched these men pollute the house of God. I want you to think for a moment just how disgusted was Jesus? Just how brokenhearted was Jesus when he came to his father's house and saw it carpeted with animal manure? How brokenhearted was the Son of God when he came to his father's house and it smelled of urine? How brokenhearted was the Lord when he came to his father's house and he saw that it had been turned into a place of greed. Friends, because the place of God's presence had become a place of man's profit, Jesus demonstrated unrestrained passion. He said, this is my father's house. This is my father's house. This is my father's house. You know, you can always tell how much somebody loves something by how much they hate its opposite. Here, Jesus has great zeal. He has great passion. What is zeal? Zeal is that, that deep-hearted passion. It's love on fire. It's that all-consuming dedication to his father's house. And Jesus has got that zeal. He's got that love. And I want you to know this morning that Jesus has that same passion for God's temple today. That temple, which is you. If you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Bible says and describes you as being the temple of God. And Jesus has that same passion that you not defile yourself the way they were defiling the Father's house. The Bible says that, that we're to be a place of holiness, not sinfulness. As believers, we're to be a place of worship, not corruption. We're to be a place of adoration, not transgression. We're the temple of the living God. And God adores His temples. He adores His temple. Therefore, every temple here Needs attention. We need attention. 
Now, the second fact that I see in this passage that we got to focus on regarding the temple is that God has authority over his temple. Let's continue to read in verse 18. So the Jews answered and said, And what sign do you show to us since you're doing these things? And Jesus answered and said to them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I'll raise it up. Then the Jews said, It's taken 46 years to build this temple, and you're going to raise it up in three? Uh, I don't think so. But he was speaking of the temple of his body. Therefore, when he had risen from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this to them, and they believed the scripture and the word which Jesus said. Now, I want you to imagine for a moment that you have given your offerings. You've given your offerings to the Lord this morning, and we have part of your offerings here today. And if I just come down and I just said... And I just kicked over the table. What would you think about that? Would you think that Brother Bill had lost his stinking mind? Uh-huh. That's exactly what they thought about Jesus. But do you know what I like about this? Jesus didn't ask for nobody's permission. He didn't ask for nobody's permission. He acted with authority. He acted with authority, and everybody moved out of the way, just like Cheyenne moved out of the way. Amen? (laughs) Nobody fought back. Nobody argued. Nobody defended their actions. It wasn't so much the physical force which he did it with. No, it was the moral right. It was the moral power. It was the holy power. Jesus spoke, and they moved. He said, clean my house of this filth. Don't defile my father's house. You know, President Harry S. Truman was known for saying, the buck stops here. And that's the same attitude that Jesus had. He said, the buck stops here. All authority begins with me. It ends with me. And I've had my fill of what's been going on in God's house. I've had enough. But notice after the commotion had settled down and the racketeers left the temple and the, the farmhands left the temple and the extortionists left the temple and the profiteers left the temple, about that time, another group moved in to the temple and they confront Jesus. They don't recognize his authority. Instead, they think that he needed their permission. See, the Jewish leaders had made a wrong presumption. They presumed that they were in authority over the temple. They thought they were in charge of the temple. They said, Jesus, who do you think you are? Turning over all this money. Right, Cheyenne? Who do you think you are? That's what you said, right? Amen. But here's what happened. They examined him without examining themselves. They were examining Jesus without examining the dishonorable acts that they were allowing in the temple. How could they have allowed that? How could they allow that stuff, that defiling, those defiling acts to happen right here in God's house? Well, let me ask you this. How do we allow 
some of the stuff that goes on in our temple. Some of us have to go back years and years to reflect and to look in the mirror of our lives and see some of the junk, some of the defiling acts, the dishonorable acts that we have allowed in the temple of the living God. It's our body. Nevertheless, these leaders try to stand in authority over Jesus, just like we do. What do we say? This is my body. I'll do with it what I please. But whose body is it? Whose body is it? Don't you forget it. The body, the physical body that you're occupying right now does not belong to you. It is God's body. He brought it into being. He'll take it home when he's ready. It's not your body. Just like it wasn't their temple. But Jesus agrees after they confront him. They say they want a sign. He says, all right, I'll give you a sign. Without needing their permission, Jesus broke through their presumption. He established his own authority and he gives them a prophetic sign. And in verse 19, we find this sign, and you and I know what it means now, but they didn't then. And he said, destroy this temple, and in three days, I'll raise it up. Destroy this temple, go ahead. Three days, I'll raise it up again. Friends, the ultimate sign. Belief in that sign is what saves the believer. Belief in the resurrection of Jesus is what brings us eternal life. And these leaders, they got stuck in the literal translation of tearing down the temple. But Jesus is telling them, hey, there's a day coming. There's a day coming when you will know indeed that I am who I say I am. And I'm going to die. And in three days, I'm going to re-raise to life. Christians, are you here today? Christians, are you here today? Listen here, you are God's temple. We are God's temple. We are the temple of God and God adores his temple. God will resurrect his temple. But I want you to know this today. God has authority over his temple. Do you hear me? God has authority over you. You are his property. He has authority over his temple. And because every temple needs attention, the final fact is this. God calls his temple to be authentic. Let's read those last few verses once again. Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover during the feast, many believed in his name. When, he saw, when they saw the signs which he did, but Jesus did not commit himself to them because he knew all men and had no need that anyone should testify of man, for he knew what was in a man. First, I want you to notice that Jesus perceives the difference between a believer and a fake. Jesus perceives the difference between a believer and a fake. He knows why you're here. 
He knows why you live the way you live. He knows if you're real or not. Here in these concluding verses, it's like John tells us that Jesus can't trust everybody. Why? The reason he can't is because he knows the hearts of men. Ladies and gentlemen, God knows what's going on in here. He knows what's happening. He knows what's happening. He knows what's going on. I read about the Durzal family who was visiting friends in uh, Pennsylvania and they always took the same country highway uh, to their relative's house. And visible from the highway was this pasture with this beautiful small flock of sheep. And they found that scenery, that flock of sheep out in the pasture, to be so picturesque. It was so relaxing. It was almost like comforting just just seeing it. And on one trip, they decided that they were going to get off the highway right there near the farm. And they were going to go find a place where they could view the sheep a little bit closer. And so they neared the field. And then a woman came out of the house. And she went and picked up. Two of the sheep, and she moved them to another place in the yard. The sheep were lawn ornaments. They were fake. They were lawn ornaments. And that made me ask a very personal question. Are you real? Are you the real thing? Or are you just pretty? Some of you ain't neither. (laughs) Max. You knew that was coming, didn't you, brother? Yeah. But not only does Jesus perceive the difference between a believer and a fake, that's important because Jesus is only going to place trust in those who he finds to be genuine. Don't expect Jesus to place any trust in you if you're a fake. Jesus is looking for changed lives that are real. Jesus is seeking the real deal. Not just somebody who's looking to be entertained on Sunday morning. Jesus is looking for true belief that manifests itself in a complete commitment. Jesus is looking for the deepest commitment that leads to obedience to the greatest commandment. Do you love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your strength, with all your heart and mind? Do you love your neighbor as yourself? Jesus is looking for a belief that manifests itself in obedience to the Great Commission. To go therefore and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them all that He's commanded you. He's looking for the real deal. He's not looking for a fake See, many people follow for a time and then they fall away. And the reason they fall away 
is because they don't see what's in it for them. But that is not what Christianity is about. If you are looking for a faith in Christ that will give you, 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 you something, you're in it for the wrong reason and you might as well call yourself a fake. It's not, you're not in it for what it can bring to you. Jesus places his trust in those who will follow him for who he is. The son of God, the master, the savior, the Lord of lords and the king of kings. But to fully understand the meaning of these verses today, we got to recognize something real important. So listen up. God's presence is no longer in a building. God's presence is in a heart. It's in a heart, friend. The Bible says, do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, which is in you? You are the temple of the Spirit. And friend, the temple that needs our attention is not in Jerusalem. The temple that needs our attention is not this building. The temple that needs our attention is not the land that this building is on. The temple that needs attention is not in these four walls. The temple that needs attention is you. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul wrote, For you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. In you. See, you are the temple. And friend, wherever you go, the temple goes. You are the temple of the living God. Just think, if you're a Christian, God lives in you. God is present in me. He's present in you. God loves you. God loves me. But listen here. To the same degree that he loves us, to that same degree, he hates sin. He hates anything that would defile the temple of the living God. So let me ask you. If Jesus Christ Walk through those double doors this morning. Who would greet you? The Lamb of grace and mercy? Or the Lion of judgment? Friend, does your temple need attention? Does your temple need attention? Does your temple, your heart, your life need the attention of the Master? While Beverly Popham was visiting her parents' home, her three-year-old daughter saw Grandma bring out cookies for dessert. The minute she saw those cookies, she says, I'm through, I'm ready for dessert. Amen, y'all ever experienced that before? Well, since her plate still had a whole bunch of food on it, Daddy said, you can't have dessert until your plate's clean. And so without blinking an eye, she took her hand and she wiped off all the food off her plate. She said, I want dessert now. I like that little story for this reason. We think that cleansing is going to be so hard and so we don't do it. And we miss out 
on dessert. Because we refuse to clean ourselves of sin and those things that defile the temple, we just miss out on the cookies. The Lord needs to do an inspection of your heart and mind today. When he does so, what's he going to find? When he looks into the temple of the living God, is he going to find anger? When he looks into the temple of God, is he going to find bitterness? Hatred? When he looks into the temple of the living God, is he going to find lust and immorality? When he looks into the temple, is he going to find unforgiveness? Indulgence? Is he going to find compromise? Is he going to find complacency? What's he going to find when he inspects your heart? What's he going to find when he inspects your life? Friend, I'll tell you, you may think it's hidden, but you ain't hiding nothing from God. Some of us need to clean up the temple. Some of us, friend, uh, had better let Jesus drive out the junk. Drive out the dirt. Drive out the manure right out of our lives. Just like he did the temple that day. You know, perhaps you've had a spiritual experience with the risen Christ. Maybe you are a born-again child of God. Maybe you are a Christian. But ever since you came to Christ, you found that it's back to the same old bad habits. Ever since you've been a believer, you say, man, it's right back to the same old selfish lifestyle. You profess your faith in Christ and you've been coasting in your service to the Lord ever since. I want to tell you that the Lord wants to drive those attitudes out. He wants to drive those things out because if these are the cases... The temple is polluted again. And it needs to be clean. Because it's the residence of the risen Lord Jesus. So today, let's allow Jesus to wash us. Let's allow him to cleanse us and to purge us from that, that old sinful lifestyle. And recognize this. He's got no desire to let you stay the way you are. He always wants you to become sinning less. And just like he changed the water into wine, just like he cleared the temple of the sinfulness of man, he wants to change the clutter in your life. He wants to clear your heart of compromise and complacency and the I don't cares. Why? So that it will be a proper residence for the Son of God, for the Holy Spirit of God. The only question that remains is this. He wants it done. Will it have to be done by the Lamb of God or the Lion of Judah? Grace and mercy or judgment? You choose. Father God, I first and foremost recognize 
the need for spiritual cleansing. And Lord, we just want to offer this time of decision uh, as a time for every temple in this building to come forward and be washed, be cleansed by the life-giving, saving grace and mercy of Jesus Christ. Father, we want to be temples of the Holy Spirit that bring honor to you and testimony to the glory of God. So, Lord, however you have directed your people today, I pray that they would be obedient and faithful and courageous. And, Lord, whatever needs to be clean, they would come and allow it to be clean. Father, if there's one that has not ever placed their faith in Jesus, today can be their day. And they can also become a temple of the living God. What a privilege it is. What a blessing it is. And Lord, I pray that you would have your will and your way in this decision time for your glory. And in Jesus' name, we pray it all. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Let's all stand and let's sing. Let's stand and let's sing. Just a moment. Uh, in two weeks, 
We're going to have homecoming here. It'll be the 106th birthday of Bethel Baptist Church. And uh, our guest singers will be the Boatwrights. These twins, girls, have uh, young women, actually, have uh, the most beautiful uh, voices that harmonize and sound just beautiful, great together. Uh, these, uh, these little posters are out in the hallway. If you'd like to take one and uh, put it in your place where you, uh, uh, your, the restaurant where you eat or uh, any place that you might go, like the grocery store, any, anywhere, ask them first. Be sure and ask them first. But there, there's, there's posters out there if you'd like to take one and, uh, and put it up somewhere. And so I want everybody to remember that's two weeks from today in the morning service at Boat Rights will be our special guest singers. And, uh, uh, and then we're going to have lunch afterwards. So uh, everybody's invited for that, and uh, we want everybody to come. So I, I downloaded a video of these, uh, these singers, and I thought you might enjoy it. Now, it's kind of uh, amateur video, and probably done on an iPhone or something, but it was uh, the sound is pretty good. So I just wanted to give you a taste of uh, what happened. Oh 